You're listening to the Experience Sikhi podcast, a deeper look into the Sikh identity. We present to you open, honest, and inspiring stories. No armor, pretense, or sugarcoating. Welcome back to the Experience Sikhi podcast. We welcome you from part one, which you were just listening to. Part two is beginning now. We're going to switch gears now and get into your professional careers. All three of you do have fairly unique paths to get to where you are today. Well, not just Rupa Gajeevan. It's, it's pretty standard for becoming a lawyer. But at, at the end of the day, you came from different schools, different programs, and got to law at different points in your life. So just Rupa, we'll start with you. What did your educational journey look like? Um, from what I understand, it wasn't always law. It wasn't clear that that's the career you wanted to chase. So how did you eventually build from undergrad all the way to being a lawyer now? Yeah, um, my undergraduate, so it was a rise and it was criminal justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, so law was actually one of the main things I wanted to do as a as I was a kid, like yeah. I said, because I was trying to mimic my mom, as you could say. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why law was always in my passion. Um, that's why I went into criminal justice. So at least yeah. I'll have a, a, a backup. And my backup for a moment was policing or, okay. or something in courts or corrections or something like that. Yeah. Um, again, I didn't exactly have it panned out. Um, but for me, I wanted to be a lawyer, but I wasn't sure if I could make it, I, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Um, mm-hmm. So even though I was striving to do that, I did the LSATs and uh, I had a, I didn't apply. So what happened is after my LSATs, uh, my LSAT was okay. It was a 152. Mm-hmm. I don't mind sharing that. And um, my GPA was, was good, but I, I didn't think my LSAT would support my application. Mm-hmm. So for a moment, I didn't apply and I started working for banks. So mm-hmm. it's not that a... You know, I just, I just basically, you could say I gave up in a sense. Yeah. Um, I just didn't apply. I didn't think I was going to get in. So I started working at BMO. Um, so there I worked uh, just as a customer rep first uh, in the call center. Yeah. And, uh, and I got a quick promotion into the fraud analyst position. Yeah. Um, so that was downtown. And uh, I was doing that for a little while. But uh, you even said to me, you didn't even try basically and uh i was like true but i don't think i'm gonna get in i'm gonna waste money on an application i've already got a job like uh you know i felt like i could have a career i could get promoted be most a big bank so i wasn't unsatisfied in my work Mm -hmm. um but i guess there was some potential that i hadn't reached and could you decide at least try so that's pretty much why my application went through (laughs) i applied in my second year so i worked for a year and then i applied uh, and I only applied to two, two schools. I applied to Osgood and Windsor because mm-hmm. I was like, there's no point wasting my money. Um, and I got in. Yeah. So that was a surprise to me. And uh, I had only just got promoted to a fraud analyst. And I remember even speaking to a manager at BMO. And he basically said, you should go. So yeah. uh, that's when the decision was 100% confirmed. Uh, mm-hmm. And I went into law with Windsor and I have no regrets since. I'm very grateful that I was pushed that direction. Um but, but yeah, I think I've lost track a little bit of your question. No, no, that's exactly what it was. It's the the purpose of the question is essentially to let students know that a lot of paths aren't necessarily linear. Um, a growing trend is that there's work experience involved, for example, or you need that little push from someone to take those chances. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that, that we know that you weren't um, set on law or it took a bit of time to get you to law, but something you, you did end up pursuing saying, what did your educational journey look like from York all the way to Queen's Law? Me, I've been a bit of a, a drifter my my whole educational, uh, uh, you know, from education. Mm-hmm. Out of high school, I went to UOIT in Oshawa. Started off in the business law program there, uh, Bachelor of Commerce. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
turned out I didn't, I, I wasn't enjoying it. And at the end of my second year at UOIT, I transferred to York into the Human Rights and Equity Studies program and uh, did a minor in anthropology as well. From there, um, I applied to law school. And again, this is the, the most important takeaway. You know, my, my journey would be very similar to other students that have gotten into law school. Mm-hmm. But uh, writing the LSAT, you know, uh, the first three times that I wrote the LSAT, um, I did miserable. Yeah. I, I did terrible, right? And it, it's uh, a lot of people think that, you know, because you're a lawyer now and, you know, you, you, you've you graduated from law school, you have a job, you're working as a lawyer, that it must have been easy for you. And that's not the case. Mm-hmm. You know, keep in mind that when you write your LSAT, um, there is a chance that your first time or your second time, it won't go well. Yep. But if that's truly what you want for yourself, right? And uh, it's not an insurmountable mountain, mm-hmm. oh, right? Or a task. So you can get there. I'm lucky that uh, what I did was then, first time I wrote the outside, I thought yeah, this is a multiple choice exam. How how, how hard could it be? And yeah. I kind of just went into it with two weeks of prep. Mm-hmm. Uh, did terrible. And then I, um, I, I, I was in June. I wrote my, it was June or July, the summer LSAT. Mm-hmm. Then I signed up for the one in October. Uh, I took that one a bit uh, more seriously. I did better, uh, yeah. a lot better than I had done the first time, mm-hmm. but still not well enough where I was confident that, uh, you know, my applications would be accepted. Yep. Um, this was during my last year. I was doing all this during my fourth year of undergrad. So not only was I stressed out, uh, wanted to get the best GPA possible mm-hmm. to ensure that I would get into law school. Yep. But I was also now writing this LSAT. And under all that pressure, I wrote it again just uh, a month later in December, and I did worse than my um, second time that I wrote yep. it. So the takeaways there for me were, uh, first, if you're writing the LSAT, you know, you can write this the summer after your second year, mm-hmm. the summer after your third year, right? Yep. When you're less stressed about your GPA, yep. you know, because your your score is valid, I believe, for five years, mm-hmm. right? Or if not five, at least for a few years is valid. So why put all the pressure on yourself all the way at the end, you yep. know, during your last year of undergraduate studies? So that would be the first takeaway. Uh, I read it early. Mm-hmm. And second thing is prepare. So after I didn't do well uh, on my third time, I said, okay, I'm just going hit to the, hit the pause button here. Yep. You know, and I, I took time uh, to really get to know the LSAT, to study it. Uh, I spent a lot of time at home, uh, you know, writing practice tests. And uh, I don't know if they're still around, but uh, I used <laughs> PowerScore. Yep. I, I feel that that was the best resource available at the time. Mm-hmm. And the last time I wrote it, uh, I did great. You know, I got into law school and then I talked about drifting. I went to Windsor, uh, met many great people at Windsor, but uh, I just found the city no offense, just Roop. <laughs> I, I just found the city very boring, right? And it was a four-hour drive. Yeah. All right. So then I transferred over to uh, to Queen's Law. All right. And uh, yeah, you know, Kingston is better as a city. They're both, they're both, they both have their challenges and they both have their uh, success stories. <laughs> That's why I came back every week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, driving back every week, four hours from Windsor. Sure. I gained so much weight during my first year, <laughs> but I guess that's that's a different type of podcast. <laughs> Damjeet, you went from undergrad to working and then had a career change in between. So what did that journey look like and why did you end up switching careers? Yeah, so I wouldn't say it's a career change because really it was from a job to a career. 
interest and that kind of switch. So started off at York. Um, at that time, you know, a lot of different ideas were going through my head. You know, do I want to go into law? Do I want to go to policing? Do I want to get into uh, public service? Um, and then I was heavily involved in student governance at York. You know, involved in the student government, involved in various committees, yeah. um, the Senate, things like that. And I was exposed to a lot. Yeah. And uh, for me, I got to go down uh, to a basically law firm, got to, you know, meet with uh, associates, partners there, got to see, you know, because everybody always, you know, hypes up, you know, basically, you know, like that's, that's where you got to go. And, uh, you know, when I went there, I left, you know, leaving with a lot of like questions, a lot of hesitancy. Like this, this is like the way forward for me. Because mm -hmm. r realistically, I I didn't really have anybody to you know speak to or get some yeah. guidance from to be like you know base streets not the only way. You know, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of other options within law. But that for me kind of uh, really you know took out the idea of law from my head, mm -hmm. and um, you know. Still wasn't sure what I want to do, but, you know, opportunities came outside of school. Um, you know, got, in, got a, you know, a job that paid well, you know, had benefits and everything you need, really. Yeah. So I was content. Yeah. A few years later, you know, <laughs> we're getting ready for turning up and because even decides to have a conversation with me saying, you know, you, you got to do a lot more, you know, um, you have more potential and stuff. And I started thinking about it. Um, you know, just where I was in life and timing, law school, I feel like at that time didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. uh, looking back, maybe I should have considered it, but whatever the case is, I decided to go to, um, you know, pursue paralegal studies. Mm -hmm. um, you know, fast track, you know, did a fast track program, uh, finished it in two semesters and oh, wow. uh, got licensed. And then, uh, you know, now instead of having a job, I have a career. Yeah. And it was a great decision because now not only, you know, am I enjoying my work, mm -hmm. um, you know, just just so much that I'm learning, you know, when I was doing it just a regular old job, I was just confined within that. Now, like in terms of my knowledge and my network, it's grown so much. I meet people from so many different various backgrounds and experiences. Yeah. I get to learn so much. Um, you know, I wouldn't be exposed to this kind of knowledge had I just, you know, been working a regular job. So I am grateful for that. Did you ever have any uh, conversation with your family when you were deciding to go back to school? Because some professionals, once you've started and just started making money, it's hard to pause that and now spend money on tuition. So was that a conversation that had to be had? Yeah, so I, mean, I did have that conversation with the family. Ultimately, you know, they left it up to me. Whatever I feel, you know, uh, was the right decision. They were supportive. But again, there's always that question, like, you know, you're, you got a good paying job, you got yeah. the benefits, you got everything you need. Uh, you know, why give that up? And, uh, you know, when I discussed it with them, you know, explained, you know, what are my thoughts? Um, you know, there wasn't much hesitation. Everybody's quite supportive. Awesome. And Gurdjieven, one of the things you also did was, we mentioned in the intro that you opened your firm just before COVID. Um, that was fairly early into your career. What made you decide that you wanted to open your own firm? Um, look, you know, it's a, uh, everybody has their personality. Everybody has, uh, you know, just the way they like to do things. Yeah. Uh, for me personally, I've always had that, uh, I guess you can say entrepreneurial, um, type of mindset. Mm -hmm. And I, had told myself before going to law school that I wanted to start my own law firm. 
you know. And that was just what I felt was right for me at the time. Uh, I quickly realized that, you know, just because you've done three years of law school, you know, doesn't mean that you have the skill set necessary to now go and open a law firm, mm-hmm. right? You could, in theory, and some yep. people do, but it's not easy, mm-hmm. um, just from a knowledge standpoint. So I did article. Um, uh, you, you have to article. And when I was articling, I had great mentors. Um, I learned a ton about civil litigation <clears throat> that uh, will be with me for the rest of my career. Yep. Um, I went back, I was an associate at the same law firm for one year, again, focusing on civil litigation. Um, I had a ton of uh, unique files, unique cases uh, that, that really challenged me. Uh, I, I was able to, to hone uh, my skill set. Mm-hmm. And then at that time, for some people, it may sound crazy that, hey, you know, you did you article for 10 months and you were an associate for a year. Starting a law firm for some people may be crazy at that time. But mm-hmm. again, I just felt that the decision was right for me and I made the plunge. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't an easy decision. Um, you know, it's you're giving up a, a stable job at yeah. a good firm with a good salary. And now you're going out on your own yeah. uh, where there's no guarantee of income. There's a high chance of failure. Most startups fail, uh, you know, within the first few months, within the first few years. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> civil litigation in an established firm is easier uh, compared to when you're starting up. When you're practicing litigation at an established firm that's been around for a long time, they have their network um, of clients and referral sources uh, from whom the clients, uh, clients, uh, sorry, the files come in. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have a reputation in the community. Um, there are many different lawyers in the law firm who have, uh, you know, in many cases, a, a ton of experience. And so clients are more easy, easily able to put their trust in them. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're a young um, lawyer starting up uh, his or her own law firm, all of a sudden now, you know, you don't have that referral network right off the bat. Yep. You don't have the reputation um, as a good legal professional right out of the right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. So those are all challenges that arise. And also for a small law firm, um, I, I realized that there was a lot of services that clients wanted mm-hmm. uh, that I hadn't been trained in. You know, so I was trained as a civil litigator. Yeah. But you know, on Main Street, <laughs> you know. Uh, civil litigation isn't really the main area of law that yep. people need to access. You know, mm-hmm. they need to they need a real estate lawyer. Yep. You know, they need a wills and estates lawyer. They need somebody to draft a shareholder agreement for their small business. Yep. And those are areas that I had taken law school courses and so on. And but again, and this is where your network comes uh, very in handy. I was able to meet people uh, after starting my law firm, senior lawyers, who. Um, who they said to me that they considered it like their to be their duty mm-hmm. that when they were starting off their firms they were early stages of their careers yep. somebody taught them yep. how to do their first real estate transaction how to draft the first shareholder agreement and so on and um, and they were able to pass that uh, knowledge down to me and uh, and here we are now uh, almost four years later uh, very happy where the firm is you know we're growing every month we're growing every year uh, but I would say that starting your own law firm is just one of many paths available it depends on who you are yeah it it was who i am you know mm-hmm. starting my own law firm was i feel like what i was meant to do 
but I don't want other young people that are listening to this to think that, oh, you know, Gurdjieff started his own law firm or, or XYZ lawyer started his or her own law firm yeah. very shortly after finishing law school. I should do that too or feel compelled to do so. Yeah. Having a, a job uh, at a established law firm, and uh, that's, that's a great career path. You know, depending on who you are as a person, yeah. you know, you you get to focus on great files. You get to focus on great work, meaningful work mm-hmm. without having to worry about admin and payroll and marketing and accounting and, yeah. you know, all those things. Um, and likewise, you know, for example, if you're if you're at a law firm, um, an established law firm, let's say you get a job in Toronto somewhere, you know, you're on the trajectory to, you know, you're set on the path to become a partner one day. Yeah. That's a great uh, path to stick with. Some people they want to, may want to work for the crown, yeah. right? Crowns they you know, you know whether it's a, a criminal law or whatever the case may be, uh, working for the you know working in the government offices things like that. That's a great career path as well. So literally, just pick what path you feel is right for you, mm-hmm. and uh, go for it. And if along the way you feel that maybe that wasn't the path for you, it's never too late to to pivot. Don't be scared to pivot either. Interesting. Okay. Um, just Rook, you were already <clears throat> a Bithari when you entered law school. And the reason why I'm asking you this specifically is a lot of students nowadays um, find it difficult to balance discipline while in school. Did you face any similar challenges and any lessons that you learned from that experience? Um, so I did get questions about my karpan. Mm-hmm. That, that's the first thing. There is a growing Punjabi community in Windsor, yeah. so it did get increasingly easier. Um, but because I do openly wear my kirpan, and it's very visible when you see me, yep. um, that I did get a lot of questions about that. Not from staff or anybody, but just curious other students. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was very clear, though, in Windsor, at least with my experience, that they were just curious students, yep. and they weren't there to cause an issue or cause a problem. They were genuinely interested in, in what it stood for, what, yep. what was the reason. Um, so I didn't mind having conversations like that to explain Sikhi uh, and it allowed them to also understand a little bit about us because mm-hmm. some of them had seen somebody with a Dastar before but maybe didn't know we carry a Karpan yeah. uh, and some others, like I said, there were two other things so it wasn't just me, there were other Punjabis there as well. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, in the school regard, um, I did get questions about it. I was comfortable taking those questions. Yeah. Um, but personally, because it was Windsor and I was able to live away, uh, I actually cherished that time. Yeah. Um, it allowed me to have individual time because all I really had was a TV and one roommate. And mm-hmm. The roommate was, again, the thing that I knew uh, in the second year. The first year was two other people that I didn't really know. Mm-hmm. So I was uh, on my own for the entire time. And uh, I didn't uh, make too many friends in the first year, just my own little circle. Yeah. And uh, you study with them, you have a good time with them. But at the end of the day, most times of the day, you're on your own. Mm-hmm. And I was able to do more in my Sikhi personally, I think, that I could have done if I was at home. Mm-hmm. Because I was at home, you still have a social life, you still have you know places you can go. Yeah. But when you're on your own, you really have to think. You can either waste that time and just scroll on phones or TV. Yeah. But I knew I could do that at home anyway. Yeah. So I, I decided to do something a little different. So I tried to increase my nitin and try to, try to do something. Mm-hmm. And not saying that it was always manageable, yeah. uh, especially with long hours at, at school and, and, and so on. But uh, I felt like it did help me because I was able to just take, even if it was just a, a year, actually, because COVID hit. Yeah. Um, so it was a year and a half that I was in person. 
and even though I did come back pretty much every week because yeah. uh, I still like being at home during the week uh, I was able to concentrate on myself a little bit more and I think I had some clarity in that time so mm-hmm. uh, I'll, I'll always appreciate that that year and a half we're gonna pivot into the work at the firm specifically um Gandhi, from because we know as legal professionals or as, as law students that paralegals and lawyers are on very similar trajectories so how does your role as a paralegal differ from what Gajeev and Andrew might be doing as the lawyers at the firm. So paralegals um, are a little different compared to the paralegals in other provinces in Canada. Mm-hmm. In in Ontario, at least, we're licensed to practice in specific areas. Okay. So, um, you know, um, tribunals, for example, uh, landlord-tenant board, immigration, human rights, mm-hmm. uh, accident benefits, things like that. We, you know, uh, we can, we're practiced, we're, we can practice those areas. Um, you know, when it comes to provincial offenses, um, quasi-criminal, like uh, traffic tickets, things like that, yep. we can uh, be notaries and commissioners as well. Mm-hmm. So that's what we can do on our own. But under the supervision of a lawyer, yep. um, you know, we can work on other areas of law as well. Yeah. So, you know, in our in the context of our firm, you know, when it comes to real estate transactions, you know, I work on real estate transactions. But uh, at the end of the transaction, when you have to register documents or sign for convenience, I can't do that. Only a lawyer can. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to estate matters, um, I can prepare documents like wills and powers of attorneys yep. or if there's any uh, applications uh, you know, for probating a will. You know, I can prepare those. But again, the lawyer is the one that signs off on those as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so there's stuff I can do independently, but also um, you know, work I can do under the supervision of a lawyer as well. Just through aside from the education, you're now essentially a lawyer. What does an estate a real estate lawyer actually do? And what's been the best part of it so far? Yeah, um, real estate lawyers, I think so many law firms uh, practice. Um, so real estate law is something that uh, is more client facing. Um, you know, we don't always have to meet clients in person though with real estate nowadays in a uh, you know virtual world. You can meet many clients online. A lot of the signings can happen online as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as an estate lawyer, I think that's where I have even more interest because, like I said, so many good firms practice real estate law to a great degree, yeah. uh, but not so many focus on estate. Uh, mm-hmm. And estate work is something that every individual requires. I also think that uh, being as a visible minority, it does help because in the Punjabi community, we don't like really talking about wills. We don't really like talking about estates or probates. Yeah. Um, like, for example, I didn't even know what probate was for a very long time. Do you want to? Yeah, pr- probate is basically the application of um, winding up somebody's estate. Mm-hmm. So typically you can um, make an application to court. Yeah. So probate will basically defend, again, this is going to go a bit, bit more legal terms, but probate will depend on the assets you have and whether probate is required. But uh, if you have assets that are on your own name that aren't joint, most likely you will need a probate. Again, every individual circumstances could be different. Uh, so this is not legal advice or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but again, for those people that do need probate, in at least the Punjabi community, it's usually hard to find a lawyer that practices in probate. Mm-hmm. And again, with our parents' generation or grandparents' generation, many of them like to speak only Punjabi. Yeah. So there is a huge barrier. Mm-hmm. So we found that in our firm that we could practice estate work because that was a gap that needed to be filled. Yeah. So when people come, we've had clients that have come in and they've told us straight up that they just Googled us and they've mm-hmm. seen uh, the starred person yeah. and they just felt comfortable coming to us. Yeah. Uh, and that's sometimes the only reason that they come to us, but they're very happy happy after that you know they were able to sit down with somebody that understood them yeah 
because also I think the grieving process is a little bit different for each community. And I think because we can relate a little bit more to the Punjabi community, we're able to tell them some other things that they can um, use to cope or, or because it is a grieving process too, right? Um, but the, uh, at the same time, give them legal advice that they're able to wind up their estate uh, and allow them to know their rights and understand what properties they need to now look after, the accounting that they have to do afterwards. And again, this is a conversation that not a lot of Punjabi families want to have, yeah. but it is something that most likely 99% of people will need to do a probate, for example, or, or everybody should have a will, but many people don't have a will. So what are the consequences if you don't have a will, for example? And these are things that we have to explain to clients. And it can be a tough situation, but the fact that we can relate to them on an individual level as well, I feel like allows to allows the, allows us to have that conversation. Since you recently completed your articling term, what are the differences between what you could do as an articling student and now you can do as a licensed lawyer? And did you have any goals in mind when you were going through your articling term that by the end of it, you wanted to know X or achieve Y? Yeah, um, well, obviously under articling, because you're always under the supervision of a lawyer, it's mandatory. Okay. So you can't do any of the signings or anything like that because you're not fully licensed. Yeah. Um, so that's the biggest difference. But as for my experience, I would say it's quite similar because like Rajivan said, even after you know 10 months of articling or in my case eight months of articling mm -hmm. um you don't know everything even after you know it's my first full year of being a lawyer even now i feel like there are things that i could learn yeah. whereas uh, when i was in articling there were certain things that i wanted to learn for example i did want to learn a little bit about states uh, I, I had no idea about real estate either because obviously before articling i didn't have much exposure in the actual office day-to-day -day life yeah. obviously we had um classes in school and i was able to learn from other lawyers because many of the lawyers that uh, would then teach as professors yeah. you can gain a lot of knowledge from them but actually doing the work is vastly different mm -hmm. and lawyers like in in law school you'll learn the actual legalese you'll understand what the law says yeah. but how do you practice that how do you manage clients expectations how do you sit down with a client and let them know what their options are those things are rarely discussed in law school i think now the conversation is a little bit different you know they're trying to do that more and more yeah. but uh, i found that to be a huge learning experience during my article and then as a lawyer now is trying to take that on and trying to be a little bit more independent mm -hmm. um, because again like I said in articling you always have that comfort that even if you don't know and you know for example your lawyer your principal lawyer can oversee that um, but as a lawyer yourself you now need to know all those things yeah um, it does feel like a quick shift whereas mm -hmm. you suddenly have responsibility yeah. and that can be overbearing sometimes but you're never alone. Like I always have that support, and you know, work with Gurjeevan. Obviously, so Gurjeevan has my back. Mm -hmm. You could say, and uh, there are many, many times that I've had to go to Gurjeevan, even now, and I'm sure forever yeah. will have to uh, ask for clarity or ask for a second opinion, and I'm able to get that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's the main thing I think in law. You want to know that you're never on your own. There's always somebody else you can discuss with, and even in cases I know Gurjeevan discusses with us too, even though he is way more experienced than we are. Mm -hmm. But sometimes there could be something you've missed or there could yeah. be another perspective that you're not seeing. Yeah. And being able to speak to each other about that and everybody gains that knowledge from each other. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's been a huge learning experience. And I, I think it's been quite rewarding. Gajivin, you mentioned some of the challenges associated with opening up your own firm. Um, from an entrepreneurial perspective, what qualities do you think an entrepreneur should have um, in order to succeed in opening up their own business? Uh, but just just to backtrack a bit, just think of it this way: when you're a lawyer working at a firm, or you know, in whatever profession you're in, if you're just working at a business, mm -hmm. 
uh, you have your defined duty. You know, it's this is what I do, X, Y, and Z task. These are the hours that I work. Once, you know, those tasks are complete or your hours are done for the day, you log out. Yeah. You know, uh, when you're an entrepreneur, when you're an entrepreneur starting your own business, um, it's a lot different. You don't just have your, you know, X, Y, Z task. Yeah. You know, you are now not just a lawyer. Uh, you're also your own marketer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're also your own accountant. Yep. You're your own bookkeeper. In the beginning, you're, you're your own recep- receptionist. Mm-hmm. Um, you could be your own janitor. Yep. All right. It's uh, these are all uh, challenges that come with starting up a law firm. Mm-hmm. It's um, so you need to be prepared for that. That in the first you know few weeks, few months, your role is going to be much uh, beyond, much more you know much more vast than what you've come to expect on law school, right? Mm. Uh, because again, you're not just practicing law <clears throat> at that time as an entrepreneur. Uh, I, of course, as your business grows, um, you bring on more people, uh, other lawyers come on board, you may partner with somebody, uh, you bring on support staff, things of that nature, which then help you define your role more. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning days, that that is a challenge that you should expect and be prepared for. Yep. Also be prepared for the fact that, you know, for your first, uh, look, you, you could go in and you could be booming out of the gate. That mm-hmm. I've seen that with people. Uh, it could be the case that you start off your business and for the first month or two, you're not making anything, mm-hmm. you know. And so you need to be prepared for that as well. And I think that's a big benefit of being a Sikh uh, Punjabi lawyer. Culturally, uh, I believe we have a lot of support uh, in the community. Yeah. So, for example, starting off a law firm, if there was a possibility that I may not make anything for two, three, four, five months as I'm getting this uh, business started up, mm-hmm. you know, I still have uh, culturally, I can rely on my parents. Yep. You know, I still have a roof over my head. I'm not stressed about, you know, the next uh, mortgage payment and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think culturally for a lot of our Punjabi lawyers, Sikh lawyers, um, South Asian lawyers and so on, uh, opening up their own law firm, there are some challenges that um, are easier uh, again, individual circumstances could be different, but generally speaking, some challenges are easier for us to tackle because uh, we're privileged to have that support network in our lives. Mm-hmm. As for uh, what was your other question? The qualities an entrepreneur should have to succeed. Yeah. Qualities like you, you need to, you really need to want to be an entrepreneur, mm. you know, because it's not easy. Yeah. Being an entrepreneur is not an easy task. It's not, you know, you don't just wake up and start making lots of money. You know, um, you need to really believe in what you're trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> if you don't believe in, if you don't really have uh, that uh, deeper desire to be an entrepreneur, <clears throat> perhaps it's not the uh, path for you and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, you need to, the quality you need to have is you need to be able to be okay with rejection. Yeah. When you're starting up your own law firm, you will be networking, you will be reaching out to people um, in the hope of getting business from them. Mm-hmm. You will not get business from everybody you reach out to. So yep. you need to be okay with uh, with rejection. Uh, qualities you need to have, uh, integrity. Uh, integrity, this is across the board, whether you're, you're an entrepreneur or working at a law firm or you're in the Crown's office, wherever you may be. Your reputation, your integrity will, will be with you everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, always be very mindful of the way you communicate with your colleagues, not just within your law firm, but with law lawyers and uh, uh, other legal professionals at other law firms. Um, if you have a bad reputation, um, that will impact your career very negatively. Yep. You know, I would define reputation as what do people say about you when you're not in the room. 
Um, if the things they have to say about you are positive, that opens up doors and opportunities when you're not even in the room. Mm -hmm. So, for example, you're not in the room, but somebody's saying, hey, I need a lawyer. If you have a good reputation, you know, that uh, other lawyer who may not practice in the same area as you, for example, may be willing to recommend you. Yeah. But if you have a poor reputation, well, you know, that other lawyer or legal professional or non-lawyer yeah. may be hesitant or probably will be hesitant to refer you because they don't want that recommendation to be cake on their face uh, mm -hmm. later down the line. Yeah. So reputation and integrity, keep your word. Um, if for some reason you can't keep your word, um, be honest and upfront about it and why uh, you weren't able to do what you said you would uh, do in that circumstance. Mm -hmm. Try to avoid those types of scenarios as, as, as much as possible. And um, communication is key. Uh, communication is a superpower. Yep. Being able to respond to people on a timely basis, not leaving them hanging for days. Yep. Uh, clients will be, uh, clients, you know, 90%, I would say more than 95% of the challenge with a client is, you know, if, if they feel that you're responsive to them, that you're there for them, that yep. you will pick up the phone call when they uh, pick up the phone, uh, when they call or respond to an email within a reasonable amount of time. Uh, generally, that client will walk away at the end of whatever they retain you for, very satisfied with your services. Mm -hmm. um, so communication is is key. So yeah, so I mentioned uh, you know being able to face rejection, being very protective of your reputation, having integrity, uh, communication. Uh, the, these are extremely crucial, and having the drive to be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just working at a local firm, what have the hours looked like? Um, and how much control do you have over your own schedule, even though we know Gajivan is <laughs> a very hard worker and can go beyond the nine to five. What does your schedule look like as, as an associate? Uh, I think anybody in any low position should expect that it's not a nine to five. Mm -hmm. um, our hours look very different. Um, sometimes we come in late, but most days we, we are here at least uh, 10 a.m. or 9 a.m. and we stay at least until six those are the very minimum hours we do yeah. um but nine times out of ten will be beyond that um and that's not just because we have to but that's yeah. because we want to mm -hmm. um again this environment that you see in front of you is a little different we all know each other from outside of uh, the law profession as well mm -hmm. and we're all friends yeah so for that reason i think staying at to work longer than we need to or than we had to um, you know, in times where I would be working at BMO, for example, I would want to go home as soon as the time ticks to yeah. five and I want to go home. Yeah. Whereas that's not the case here. If I feel like the cases are done, the files are done, but there's still something else that could be done in the day. Mm -hmm. um, I don't mind staying back doing that yeah. um, just because we know we're contributing to a common cause and everybody is putting the same amount of effort into it. Yeah. It's not that you feel that, you know, somebody else is benefiting <laughs> or, um, you know, you're doing it for like a higher power. Like in BMO, you don't really see yourself where you are in the ladder. Yeah. Whereas here, everybody is, you know, front facing because um, we're smaller we are all very connected yep. uh, and we all see what each other does and i think that drives me when i see karanji staying back doing work i want to do it too mm -hmm. when i see gurjeevan working overnight or even on sundays i yep. want to do that too mm -hmm. and that's because i want to not only alleviate pressure from them too but i want to learn that as well yep. um, i think that gives you your drive as well mm -hmm. and it allows us because we all want to grow together and we know where we want to, what we want to achieve and it's not going to be easy yep. so i think drive for us naturally comes 
Uh, it comes naturally, I think. Um, that could differ. I'm not sure if they have different opinions on that, mm-hmm. but uh, because I, I can see the hard work and I can see that um, the fruits of that as well. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to see the fruits of that at the time, but knowing that um, whatever you're doing is for a reason, just trusting it, having like sharta, you could say, or having prosa in that. <laughs> yeah. Um, in, in the, uh, I, I, yeah, again, just to go over that, I, I think uh, working long hours is not an issue with us um, just because everybody... Um, contributes the same way. There is a difference when you're invested in the work you do. Yep. And there's a positive environment. Mm-hmm. If you don't have those two things, I think it gets very difficult. At that point, it is just clockwork. You come in 9 a.m., you want to leave by 6 o'clock. Yeah. But uh, I think otherwise, once you have everybody that's on the same page, have a common goal, yep. it's very easy to, you know, stay motivated and focus on your work. Mm-hmm. Like, like just was saying, like, you know, right. when you're in, you know, in the moment of things, you're, you're in the grind, you know, it, it can seem hard or you don't, you know, can see the positive in it. But once everything is done, you take a step back, you know, you do have a sense of appreciation. Yeah. Other thing to, to keep in mind, just to put it into context for anybody listening, is the type of work that you do as a lawyer, right? So let's take a um, like a, a basic residential real estate transaction. <laughs> you know, on the day of closing, you have until 6 p.m. to close. Yep. Now, if for some reason your client is, uh, the mortgage instructions are late, mm-hmm. uh, your client requires an extension, or there's some type of other serious issue with the closing, you can't, just, if the nature of the work we do is you can't just say, oh, it's five o'clock, I'm going home. Yep. You know, that would be, in some cases, devastating for your client. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, sometimes the work that we do, many times the work that we do can be, even though we've done it many times now, we're used to it. For the client, it's a very uh, high-stress situation, and you have to be there for them. Yeah, uh, that's not just for transactional work where there's hard deadlines, and you know, if you miss that deadline, you're in default. Mm-hmm. But also, for example, for litigation, um, there's limitation periods. You know, yep. if you don't file something within the, the limitation period, your client loses the right to sue can be devastating for the client mm-hmm. um, similarly there's filing deadlines you know if you don't file the motion materials for a motion on time uh, judge may refuse to uh, review your motions yep. you know, sorry your motion materials and so on so those things are very um, they can be, you know law can be very time sensitive uh, it can be very high stress for the uh, client and because it's high stress for the client it's your duty uh, because it's your duty as a lawyer to act in their best interest, you have to take uh, your client's challenges seriously. So th- that's something you have to be mindful of in the legal profession. I'm sure there's some areas of law which are not as uh, time sensitive. For example, if you're only doing wills and you know people have, you know, it's not a time sensitive issue for most of the people making the wills and so mm-hmm. on. I can see how it can be less uh, time consuming, but I would say most areas of law. Uh, particularly areas of law related to litigation, uh, criminal, family, uh, civil litigation, uh, transactional work, um, real estate transactions, uh, you know, uh, secured lending, um, or higher level transactional work. Um, that could be, it, it generally requires you to put in the hours. Other than Grajeevan, are you two also engaged in the business development and, and bringing in clients? Are you actively seeking to expand your client base or is that left solely with Gajima? No, I think uh, we're very open with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty much 
all the way through the process, we were able to sit at the same table and have that conversation. Uh, we don't really have dividers between us. Yeah. Um, I know when we first started the firm, we were actually all on one desk. That's how mm. close we were. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a story to tell and it, sh- it just shows the connection between us. So I think um, all the way through, even marketing, even advertising, we're all able to contribute, mm. whether that's making promotional pamphlets yeah. or whether that's uh, advising on how we can make an online strategy, for example, yeah. or even places we can go in person to see. Um, we've been able to, you know, thankfully have an integral role in that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's only because Kajivans allowed us to, yeah. right? There are many firms that were very shut off that uh, this is your area, you stick to your area and do a good job in your area. Mm-hmm. Whereas um, we've been presented opportunities that uh, I like to think that we've tried to take. Yeah. Um, and for that reason, you know, it's great that everybody is able to, you know, show interest because it's, it's a career for all of us. And all of us are looking for a future. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that we can at least try to affect that in some positive way uh, has been good. So we're able to at least try to um, put our work and put our efforts in and see where that would come because we have, it, it just shows the leadership as well, right? Yeah. Um, allowing us to have a say, even though we may not be stakeholders in the business, mm-hmm. um, shows the intentions of the leadership too. It shows that, you know, he wants us to all grow together. Yeah. Um, yeah, guarantee the you're gonna to add to that. I think you know you summed it up quite well. Again, if if we weren't part of this process, it's a whole different thing, right? For us, it would have been you know here's a file, complete it. But because we get to you know take part in brainstorming, um, figuring out okay what works for the business, how can we grow together? If there's any if there's any success, we share it together. If there's any shortcoming. You know, we've, we, we, you know, we, we go through that together as well and try to figure out, okay, how do we improve? So it's beginning to end, you know, whether it's a a file, whether it's overall, uh, you know, figuring out how to operate the business, it's a collective effort. And again, having that common goal where we sit down, whether it's the beginning of the year or in the middle of the year. And we kind of, you know, uh, come together, try to build, uh, um, try to map things out. It keeps us motivated. Yeah. I think that's key. In terms of differentiating yourself from other firms, the the generation prior to us, a lot of them have set up shop in the Peel area and you've joined that community. How do you aim to differentiate yourselves from some of the older firms? Well, well, the way we have to see it is this, you know, I feel sometimes the uh, lawyers that have been here for a long time, uh, we tend to speak of them negatively or a bit disrespectfully. And it comes down to, you know, it was a completely different topic uh, back then, but, you know, the term respect. Um, A lot of these lawyers, they set up shop and they served the community for decades when there was very few Punjabi lawyers and they provided a much needed service uh, to our community, Mm -hmm. you know, and so for that, they deserve our respect. Um, The, the other thing to uh, keep in mind is sometimes we criticize, um, I know this, this wasn't particularly your question, but I I do feel the need to say it is we criticize them for having lower legal fees and, you know, why, why, why are they charging so less? And some of us younger lawyers, can find that annoying at times. But we have to keep in mind that a lot of these lawyers, they were serving a community for decades. And, you know, Brampton, Peel Region in, in general, is a working class place. Yep. Brampton in particular is a working class city. Mm-hmm. People don't have thousands of dollars to spare. Yep. And so they provided, you know, we talk about in law school access to justice. 
that is a common theme. Mm-hmm. And so these lawyers played a significant role in, in you know, making justice and legal services accessible to working class communities, uh, such as in uh, the city of Brampton, the Punjabi community, South Asian community in general. Mm-hmm. In terms of differentiating, again, um, for me, a differentiation has always just been the quality uh, of work that I, you know, I, I don't set out to say that I'm going to be better than XYZ law firm. I just, my focus is the work that I'm doing, the product that I'm putting in front of my client, that has to be, I want that to be the product, the best product that I could produce. Mm-hmm. And I want my work to speak for itself. Yep. And we've had those experiences many times where the client, uh, we haven't uh, sought out particularly to network with someone uh, with, a, with a referral source or, or, or anything like that. Uh, but their client knew us, for example, the client came. Once the client sees our quality of work, um, the client uh, wants to come back to us repeatedly yep. after that yep. because they say, you know, I was impressed with your communication. I was uh, uh, with your honesty and integrity yep. and the quality of work that uh, that was given to me at the end of the day. Yes. And the referral source, uh, the realtor or the mortgage broker, whoever they may have worked with, the business owner, um, they will also be impressed by that, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's been a huge differentiating factor for us. People say, you know, because of your quality of work, that's why we come back. Yeah. Um, so that that's uh, one thing, and also you know as you know we're younger, uh, we're more easily able to embrace uh, new technologies, yep. uh, more efficient ways of doing things. That may be harder for a more established law firm to do, mm-hmm. right, or a more senior lawyer lawyer to do. Yeah. Uh, for example, um, we said in the beginning, uh, you said in the beginning, we started the law firm right before the pandemic. Yep. So December 2019 was when we announced online, on, mm-hmm. you know, promoted amongst friends and family on social media and so on that, hey, you know, starting the law firm. And after that, it was a, a month or two of setup, uh, you know, just getting, you know, finding a place to lease and yep. things like that. And I remember my first uh, real estate transaction was on the day of the first uh, lockdown. Oh, wow. Right? Uh, in Ontario. So you have the first lockdown coming in. And here I had my first uh, transaction. Mm-hmm. So, and so, again, like I said, my background was in civil litigation. I was just getting into real estate. And I saw that transition happening in real estate. So when I had done my first transaction, it was the day of the first lockdown. Still, uh, lawyers were predominantly uh, querying each other keys, mm-hmm. um, you know, on the day of closing. Yeah. Uh, printing out all closing materials and uh, querying it to each other and so on. And I saw in very real time how that shifted yep. almost overnight. Um, so in March 2020, we had a lockdown. By the end of that summer, it was almost exclusively um, keys were being delivered by lockbox. Mm-hmm. So the, the lawyer wasn't responsible for actually handing over a physical key. Yep. Um, all those documents that we expected uh, by courier were now being emailed mm-hmm. uh, to us and so on. And we were able to just, we were able to embrace that very quickly. Um, You know, for example, um, we we offer our clients the opportunity, we say, because we're allowed to now. Previously, you couldn't commission online. You know, it it wasn't permitted to commission an affidavit. uh, Online, it had to be in person. Mm -hmm. But now you're allowed to, we're able to offer to our clients, say, do you want to come in person? We're happy to meet you in person. Or would you find it uh, more convenient to meet online? And most of our clients, even the seniors, mm-hmm. uh, I would say the vast majority prefer online and digital services. Yeah. But because we're younger, because we're a younger law firm, we're able to embrace those technologies and create a more efficient environment. So, you know, there's things like that help you uh, differentiate. 
It's, a, it's also a change in perceptions, right? Like uh, we've had many calls for wills, for example, uh, and they say to us, uh, you know, what's your process? And we tell them, like, are you sure you're not just going to send us a form and we're going to fill it out? Yeah. And I was like, no, because uh, we like sitting down with the client mm-hmm. and communicating the term. Them filling out a form is not beneficial for them. They're not learning anything the law and they're, yeah. they're not learning about how they're going to protect themselves or being able to communicate any uh, certain um, restrictions that they want to in place in their will, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, unfortunately, some people are, you know, uh, don't have good family relations, for example, uh, or there's a certain child that they don't get along with um, and they'd want to exclude them from the will, for example. Mm-hmm. They're not able to explain that to us in a form. They're not able to sit down and tell us what they want. So the fact that we sit down with them and have one-on-one conversations with them, we talk them through the entire process, and we make those instructions with them. We're able to give them suggestions. They're able to give us suggestions. And based off their intentions, we're able to give them solutions that will best accommodate for them. I, I don't know if all other firms do that. But I do know when we've had clients who have asked questions like that, it's because they've had ex- negative experiences from other firms mm-hmm. that don't do that. And mm-hmm. we're able to change their perception on that. And I believe they're grateful for it. Mm-hmm. It's just, again, like what you even said, it's all about communication. Just knowing mm-hmm. that they have somebody they can speak to, or if there's a question that they want to ask, they can't ask a form. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're able to have a, a real human connection with somebody. Uh, I think that's a, it's a way that we're trying to differentiate as well and offer clients something that they may not have had the opportunity for before. Ganjith, how much of your role entails mentoring someone like Jasroop? Because you had been at the firm since the start, Jasroop came in later. Do you dedicate time out of your schedule to help him with his questions, help him learn what he had to learn during his articling term? Early on, like I gotta say this, like just was a quick learner and he's motivated, so it didn't take much effort. Yeah. But early on, it was just you know main thing was processes, because mm-hmm. he's like he mentioned before, he learned the law, right? He spent all the time in law school. You know, you got a good grasp of what the law entails, but just you know processes and procedures and how things work, just helping along with that, and he was able to pick that up fairly quickly. In terms of burnout, because you've mentioned that the hours can also be inconsistent or just long in general. Again, you have a family, you're working all these hours at the firm. Do you experience burnout? And if you don't, how do you prevent it? I think burnout, you can't say that you never experience burnout. Everybody's going to experience sooner or later. Yep. And you do. But the thing with us, the good thing is that we're able to recognize when we feel that. Mm-hmm. And when we do, we adjust ourselves accordingly. Yep. So when we need to take time off or need to step away, we're able to do so. You know, we're able to work that amongst out amongst the three ourselves and figure that out. So that way we're able to, when we need to, you know, focus on something outside of work, we're able to do so. We don't have to think about work. If there's a family emergency or if there is a responsibility that we got to take care of, we know we're able to do so. We have the confidence that, you know, if I'm out, I know I can rely on Gurdjieff and Jusroop um, to take care of things. Likewise, if uh, Jusroop or Gurdjieff needs to uh, step out and the the two that remain, you know, they can step away, you know, with full confidence as well. We're going to move towards a, a look to the past. If all of you were able to speak with the first year undergrad version of yourself, is there any advice or lesson you'd give him knowing everything you know now? So we'll go around the table. We'll start with Gurdjieff. <laughs> Put me on the spot. <laughs> yeah. Again, I would just, um, look, like I said, uh, for me, um, I, I don't treat uh, law as just a job um, or, you know, just a career. I, I, I'm very passionant about the law. Mm-hmm. Um, Soup and Kandi can tell you 
I can read uh, a law textbook like somebody reads Harry Potter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's uh, one on his desk right now. <laughs> you don't believe him. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, you know, I just, I just enjoyed learning about the law and so on. So, you know, I feel this was the, the right career path for me. So what I would tell myself is what I've already said in this uh, podcast is preparing for the LSAT. Don't leave that to your last year of undergrad, mm-hmm. you know, um, do that earlier. Yeah. You know, put less stress on yourself. Um, in, but that you know, and then you know, just things like that. Just reminding myself of the the value and the benefits of communication, of, of protecting your reputation and integrity, just things of that nature. Mm-hmm. You know, but other than that, uh, honestly, I'm very grateful for the life that I've had uh, so far. And um, there's so many things. One thing that I would remind myself as a young person. Uh, you know, as a first year undergraduate student is don't undervalue the benefits of community service. I feel that even starting a law firm was so much easier for me mm-hmm. because I didn't think of it that time as an entrepreneurial experience, but helping start a non-for-profit organization, SYF, yep. helping it become a registered charity and playing those roles. Um, you know, you're put into leadership positions, uh, you're put into uh, difficult and challenging positions. Sometimes you have to r- respond to internal or external uh, crises. Mm-hmm. Right. So those uh, those types of experiences that I had being involved in the community, they played a significant role in shaping who I am as a person mm-hmm. and helping me uh, launch uh, this law firm yeah. and to carry out the day-to-day of the law firm since then. But when you're younger, you sometimes think of the community service you do as a burden. You say, you know, this is taking up so much of my time. I'd rather be in the library. And uh, this is is unique to me. But sometimes I used to think that, you know what, if I had just focused um, more exclusively just on law work, you know, while I was in law school, maybe I would have gotten this clerkship. Maybe I would have gotten this opportunity or that opportunity. But instead, you know, the time that I did have, you know, I, I would come back to Brampton and, you know, to be involved with the community here. And sometimes I would say, did I make the wrong decision? But I can clearly say now that I didn't make the wrong decision. I made the right decision. And um, so I would tell myself to recognize that at an earlier age. Just Yeah, I have a, a couple of bits. Um, the first thing I would say is uh, find somebody uh, who can mentor you. I think that just makes it easier right off the bat. Mm-hmm. You don't need to struggle on your own, so why, why do it? So uh, thankfully for me, I was able to have that. Um, either people reached out to you or you were able to reach out to somebody else who's older in that profession. And uh, like I had Gujib and I had my mom, Maji, I had other people that I knew in law that were able to navigate me through that. Um, but also I think to have patience. I think sometimes when we're in undergraduate, we're very impatient. We want things to happen fast. Mm-hmm. And we want things to happen right away in the way we want it. There are some things that I didn't understand then, but I'm grateful for now. Um, and that's why I think you shouldn't rush it. Uh, and finally, to don't stop trying. Like if I hadn't applied for law school, I would never have been here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't try the first year. Maybe I could have got it the first year. Uh, I don't live with regrets. Uh, I'm very happy with the way everything has panned out. But don't think that if you fail once, you, you'll fail again. Or just keep trying, right? Uh, I think that's key. 
Um, that could be even in later in your life. Sometimes you think you're a little bit older and you don't want to go back. Um, if you can break out of that a little bit, again, it's not for everybody. Some people are very happy with what they are and they don't need to, they don't want to go back. Mm -hmm. But if you do have a deep desire to do something, I think you should continue to try um, or, or find another way uh, to get to that goal. Um, yeah, don't, don't ever give up, I would say. Yeah, well, I would just reiterate that. Um, if you fail at something the first time, you know, don't give up. You know, just uh, have the grit, all right, and the resolve to try again. Invest something you truly want for yourself. That's, um, uh, yeah, I think that's a very good point that Jusroop made. Mine is very similar to Jusroop. Um, for me, looking back, time is very important. And you don't, you don't get time back. You know, once it's gone, it's gone. Um, for someone, you know, that was involved in campus affairs, you know, I sat on almost like a dozen different committees. The experiences I got from that, like, looking back, like, oh, they were amazing. Like, I wouldn't trade it for anything. But what I would say is there's no rush to complete your degree in four years. And I, that's one thing I look back at, and I wish I told myself that back then. Because I didn't really gain much from just finishing in four years. I could have spaced things out a bit more, enjoyed my experiences a bit more. I took the time out, you know, seek out a mentor, learn a bit more. Mm -hmm. And maybe, you know, I would have made the decision to go into the law a lot sooner. Maybe, maybe my path would have been a lot more straightforward. Again, no regrets. I've landed. I'm in a great spot right now. I can't complain about it. But, uh, you know, maybe my experience would have been much different as well. So you don't need to have the answers or right away in the first year and don't be so stubborn to think that you do you know seek out a mentor take your time you have first year to go through electives and explore different programs mm -hmm. you know you don't have to take a full course load you know space it out take some summer courses maybe you just want to take you know three or four courses one semester do that but also balance it so that way you can enjoy your um, extracurricular activities as well because for me, yeah, I sat on like a dozen committees, but if I sat on those committees, spaced it out a bit more, I would have been, you know, enjoying that a lot more. From I would also say, um, again, to build off what Karanji said, yeah, time doesn't come back. And there are certain experiences that you can have at a certain time in your life that you can't have at a later time. For example, when you're an undergrad, you know, be more than just um, your course. Mm -hmm. that you're taking you know for example if you're, when you're an undergrad that's the age where you have the opportunity to be really involved in, in a, for example an ssa right to be really involved in, other, in student life mm -hmm. even when you go back to school as let's say a mature student let's say you decide to go back in your late 20s or 30s and so on it's not as easy to really be involved in those type of uh, that type of campus life because now you're a more mature student you're yeah. in a different phase of your life so really enjoy the experiences that you may not have the opportunity to, to have again later in life. Yeah. Um, getting good grades is very important. You know, I encourage everybody to get the best grades that they can. But there's so much more to you than just your grades. Mm -hmm. You know, your experiences will, will carry with you. If I look back, um, the experiences, the people that I met during my undergraduate years, during law school, the experiences that I had, the places that I got to go, today now, that's a lot more memorable to me and it will stay with me till the day i die than a grade that i got on an exam yep. not that the exam wasn't important at that time it was but it's not the be all end all mm -hmm. we're gonna go from the past to now the future where do you see yourselves in a few years and we're gonna go in reverse order so we'll start with ganju 
I think in a, in a few years, the three of us have grown professionally, not just professionally, but also in our personal lives. Mm-hmm. You know, our families are growing, the business is growing, and, you know, we're motivated as ever. And it just we're just going to have that upward trajectory. Just really. Yeah, I think um, I, I like goals. I like setting myself targets. Mm-hmm. I don't think Rajivan likes it as much. He likes <laughs> to play the course. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, like Andy said, I like professionally. I hope we're, we're at an even better place. Um, very grateful for where we are right now, but obviously always looking to grow, always looking to encourage more individuals to come into the profession too. Mm-hmm. So some way that we can give back. Um, but personally, I hope my Sikhi grows. Uh, I hope Sangat grows. I hope I'm able to still do seva, do more seva. I don't do enough. Um, so those are goals that I set out for myself too. Increase my Nithinim, increase my Bani too. Uh, try to achieve something, you know, because at the end of the day, this is a Experience Sikhi podcast and yeah. the point of it is to go back to Sikhi, right? Mm-hmm. Um, your lore is not going to go with you to the afterworld, um, but your Sikhi <laughs> will. So uh, I think to concentrate on what's important, even despite the long hours or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. to still remember why you're doing it. Uh, and uh, sometimes I think you lose sight of that. So to reflect. I've never been good with plans, like uh, the soup said. <laughs> He's a master planner. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, yeah, I, I'm more of a go with the flow type of uh, person. But um, and it, it's been it's been, you know, your your life experiences dictate what type of personality you have in that regard. I feel that a lot of the times in life where I've said, you know, six months from now I'm gonna have this done. Yeah. And then something else happens in life, right? Which is also great. Right? And so that's why, um, you know, sitting here today, though, obviously, you know, I want to see the firm um, become even more successful. I want us to, to grow uh, as individuals, as legal professionals, become more experienced, um, you know, become experts in, in what we do and the services that we provide. And I also want to see the firm grow and bringing in uh, more staff, more lawyers and so on, going into other practice areas, providing a more wide range of services to our clients. Mm-hmm. So that's where I see, professionally speaking, Sikhi wise, Sikhi is the most important. Um, without Sikhi, everything else is meaningless. And um, also very important to me is uh, I'm a dad now, right? So uh, I want to grow the firm sustainably and i'm sure uh, karandita and uh, just share these goals as well where you want to be able to dedicate time uh, to your uh, family and to your children uh, because that's also not time that you're going to get back mm-hmm. right so that's uh, and to you know to really work hard to create a, a better future uh, for them as well right so that's that's what i see myself striving towards uh, in the in the coming years we like to end off every podcast with what we call the random five. This is where I'm going to ask you. Can I just five. can I just say one thing before you get to that? Of course. Um, I'm not sure if we'll get a chance to to touch on it with this, but for me, values are very important. And this is the last message I would have to to anybody listening: mm-hmm. is there's a lot of opportunities in life to get what you want faster by compromising your values. For me, as a sick, for example, having a law firm, um, alcohol. Um, Alcohol is big, it can be big in business, gifting wine and, and mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, you know, I can say that if if I wine and dine someone, if I if I send them a bottle of wine, uh, maybe I'll get more referrals. Mm-hmm. Right, I'll, I'll get more business from this person. But as an Amatari Sikh, does that vibe with my values? Mm-hmm. Um, my hope uh, and prayer 
All right. And I hope God and Super Bowl is there to keep me in check for this as well and vice versa. I'm willing to make less money. I'm willing to make a hundred grand less, mm -hmm. but keep my values. Yep. You know, uh, once you sacrifice your values, it's for what did you really do it? Money's not going to go with you. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I believe the, the values that you uphold in life, um, those are, you know, those give meaning to your life. And that's what truly helps you build a legacy. Mm -hmm. uh, money comes and goes. Yeah. You know, you know, it's in your bank account today, it's gone tomorrow. And when you die, it's not going to go with you. Mm -hmm. So to, to all the young people listening is have your values, know what your values are, and don't compromise them. Especially don't compromise them just for a bigger paycheck. Mm -hmm. The bigger paycheck will come by itself. Yep. It's more satisfying when you achieve uh, the, the greater salary or the greater profit, greater revenue uh, by uh, knowing that you got to that goal, you got to that higher salary while keeping your values intact and keeping who you are as a person intact. We usually do keep the last words for our listeners after the random five, but do you, you want to share anything that you'd like to leave with our listeners? Yeah, I think I want to echo what Kajivan said. Like We've had that conversation many, many times mm -hmm. um, and it's something that's helped all of us remember what's most important. Yeah. Even professionally, people will ask you to do things that you're not comfortable with. Mm -hmm. I think being able to say no is huge. There are many people that will give in at that time or they think they have to do it. Um, knowing that you don't have to, knowing there's another chance, another opportunity, and maybe you lose that file, maybe you lose that opportunity at that time. But because you've been true to what you are, things come back naturally. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and I think because of that, yeah, your goals and your character is something that can never be taken back. Once it's gone, it's gone. Uh, and I think that's so important. And I, I'm, I'm happy that uh, all three of us align in that way um, because we're able to understand, you know, what our position is and what we're not going to deviate from. Mm -hmm. And having those hard and fast rules allows all of us to grow in our CQ while working. Like for the three of us, when we first sat down and we discussed, you know, when it comes to, you know, values, whining and dining and all that, like without hesitation, all three of us were on the same page, mm -hmm. right? We all have the same answer that no matter what, we're not going to do it. And I think individually, we're all fortunate as well that, you know, we can say that we work with two other go to six that, you know, have the same values that want to uphold the same values. Mm -hmm. So if one of us ever falters or, you know, second guesses ourselves, the other two can keep us in check. Yeah. Right. And even beyond that, you know, maybe this may be hard to believe for others, but you know, when clients come or, you know, individuals within our network come, they appreciate that as well. Mm -hmm. Right. When, when you're, you know, dealing with somebody, you know, it gives you a peace of mind knowing that, you know, someone that you're talking to, you know, what they stand for, what their values are, are they're not just, you know, being an imposter. Mm -hmm. Right. And people do appreciate that. Yeah, and also, you know, it comes back to being a parent as well. We talked about that at the beginning of the podcast. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you know, feeling like a hypocrite can really uh, bring you down. Mm -hmm. You know, if I want to instill sick values into mm -hmm. my children and uh, into my kids, and, I, you know, I want them to be good sex when they grow up, you know, going home and telling them about the Sabjad day and things like that, right? But then when I know I'm at work, you know, I'm you know being involved in things that would be considered a karat for sex mm -hmm. right like uh i feel that i can get uh you know fifteen twenty thousand dollars of business from somebody or more business from somebody when i just send them this wine bottle so i send them a bottle of wine but then i go home to my kid and i say don't drink alcohol yeah you know that for me personally that would be a big weight on my shoulders mm -hmm. you know and if i think feeling like a hypocrite it can also be very negative 
uh, for just your self-esteem and, you, you know, just your perception of yourself. Yep. So it's best to avoid putting yourself in those situations. I feel st- st- sticking with your values, uh, working with integrity, working smart, and, you know, letting your work, quality of work speak for itself will will take you far. All right. And I think that's uh, that's what I would leave the listeners with. Awesome. So we'll move towards the random five, which are five totally random questions just for the listeners to get to know you all a little better. And um, again, we'll just keep going in reverse order throughout all the questions. So the first question is, what is your favorite book? And we'll start with Ganji. Favorite book, eh? Sikhi related or non sikhi related? That's up to you. You could list one in both, actually. Lord of the Rings series, when it comes to non sikhi (laughs) (laughs) And then... um, Sikhi related. Oh, that's even harder. You've introduced me to a lot of the, the Sikhi books that I've read. So I know you have the collection. I think I think if I go back to it, Sikhi. Just who kind of stole my answer. That was going to be mine. But uh, not a book, I guess. But the Japji Sahib Stik is something that I can always reflect on. Uh, there's so many things, at least religiously, that I'm able to get from that. Mm-hmm. And every time you read it, you get something different. Um, but Sikh and Aya and Paisa and these things, these books also hit me. That was one of the first books I read as uh, sick books that I read. Um, and their experiences in jail and stuff really hit me. Um, so learning from them. Other Sikhi books as well, like Jail Chitiyan from, um, uh, yeah, like all, all of those, Sakhiyan, for example, those are really, um, really hitting and uh, being able to reflect on that and understanding again uh, what their intentions in there and Jeevan were. Um, those always resonate with me. So by Jinda, by Sukha, those Jilichiti I'm talking about, um, those are very courageous in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, again, uh, it's not a book, but like I said earlier as well, like Santhakarthasanji letter to Payam Reeksingji. Mm-hmm. Um, I always try to read that every every time I can, every few months or whatever I can, um, because there's so much to learn and I forget so much so quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good to reflect on that. Which uh, steak were you referring to? The Japji Sai steak is by Vadi Mahapurk, the you know the one that we get in Tiksal. We mm-hmm. did some video as well uh, of that with uh, by Sukraj Singh. Uh, that's when I was first exposed to it. I knew of it, but there was nobody really to walk me through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and after reading it once, I realized it's not so hard. When you start reading it, again, there are things that you won't get on your own. And that's yeah. why I thought is necessary. Um, but there's still Sakhi Punjabi in there where mm-hmm. you can read it and at least understand some of the Sakhi. So if you have access to there, or if you can get access to it, it's a good starting point. Again, you won't know everything. So seek out and start as well. Um, but you can definitely start there. And just in case listeners don't know, we say what Dimapur referring to who was the twelfth Muki of the Dandamitaksa and Gajivan, your favorite book. Yeah, I would like to echo uh, the Santkarta Sanji's letter to Payamdik Singh. And I think the reason that's uh, very valuable, especially in the context of this podcast, is that Payamdik Singh was a master student. Um, at uh, Casa College in Ambassa mm-hmm. at the time, I believe. I, I could be wrong about that, but I do definitely know that they were pursuing uh, higher education at that time. But Malik Singh was. And that's the time that Sankartar Singh uh, sent that letter to them. So it, it could, it's very inspirational um, from the perspective of an undergraduate student, a law school student, a master's or PhD student. Um, you, you know, we can think of, you know, Sankartar Singh wrote that letter to Malik Singh uh, but we can also think of it as, you know, a, a older father figure uh, for um, 
us, you know, you know, you can think of it as a letter being written to yourself as well. And it's very inspiring in that regard. Um, in terms of books, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. <laughs> right? I grew up, I think my generation had a unique experience with Harry Potter because we were at the age of the characters. Oh, fair. You're right. Fair so point. when the first uh, when the first big book came out, you know, we were around that age of the characters in the book. And the book was written more for, I guess, uh, people of that age, age group. Right, were easier for them to read and then you know the books got more mature as we were maturing um mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, so you know by the you compare the first book to the seventh book vastly different uh, a lot more different you know a lot more mature and so on yep. and i think for people now you know reading the books as like uh, when you're in your 30s or 40s it may be it may be a lot more difficult i, I can i can appreciate that um in terms of non-fiction there's a lot of great books out there. One book I really liked, not very well known. Um, it's uh, How Will You Measure Your Life? Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the author is Christopher Christensen, right? But if you Clayton Christensen, I think Clayton Christensen, I believe, yeah, that, I believe that's correct. Yeah, How Will You Measure Your Life? Um, author has now passed away, but very valuable lessons in that book. One valuable lesson that he had, he, he comes from a, a Christian background. And he said that, uh, again, very smart individual, and I believe he was at Oxford at the time uh, in the UK. He was a Rhodes Scholar, if I'm remembering correctly. And being as busy as he was, so he was also involved in uh, in college sports. Um, he was a scholar there at Oxford University, so intense uh, studies going on and so on. And he would pray every night before going to sleep. Um, and he, so he has this, uh, I forget what it's called, the ninety-nine percent yeah, rule, or something like that, right? Pretty much the point he was trying to make is that if you skip something once, you will justify skipping it a hundred more times. Mm-hmm. So he said, as busy as I was, and as intense as my schedule was, he's like, it, the thought came to me many times that why don't I just skip my, my prayer before going to sleep? Yep. You know, why don't I just skip that today? And um, you know, because I need more, so a little bit extra time to study. You know, maybe I need to wake up earlier. Why don't I skip all that? But he said, I forced myself to stick to it because it was important to me. And I've stuck with that for my whole life. Uh, so that was a, a lesson in there that I found very valuable. Um, another another great book, you know, more recent Sikh history written from a non-Sikh perspective is uh, Fighting for uh, Faith and Nation. Fighting for Faith and Nation by Cynthia Kapli Mahmood. A lot of unique stories in there. I found that very inspiring uh, when I was coming into Sikhi as well. Uh, Sikh and Ahiya is a very good one. You know, if you're coming under the path of Sikhi, I would recommend that to to anybody. Other books that I, I haven't read personally, but I've heard great things about is Spirit Born People by Professor Putin Singh. I've heard have a lot of people recommend that to me. I haven't picked it up myself. Also, uh, Power of Ardas by Bayrugbir Singh Bir. That's a, um, I heard that's a very powerful one. I've had a lot of good six recommend that book. So yeah, yeah, that's a, uh, Game of Thrones is also great. <laughs> 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 the list goes on. Yeah. even is very well read. <laughs> we can tell <laughs> with the law textbooks too. Um, if you really want, <laughs> maybe his name is Peter Downing. He has a book on the law of libel. <laughs> very thrilling exhilarating read we always laugh that Gurdjieff's break from law is reading a different area of law <laughs> so <laughs> he has many books to recommend I want to make sure I got that name right I think that is right yeah. 
We're gonna we're gonna move on to the next <laughs> yeah, question. Yeah, right. while he looks up the author. Yeah. So we're gonna go back to the same order. It's gonna be what is your favorite quote and or Barney Punky? So Kanji, we'll start with you. Quote, just because boxing. I'm gonna reference the great Muhammad Ali. If you don't lose, you know, sorry, you don't lose. If you get knocked down, you lose. If you stay down, damn. Just real. Yeah, Bani Pankti, um, I always like Rogante or Sogante. It doesn't matter what's going on. Um, you, you know, you can withstand that. Um, so that that's one that I always like to recite. Gurjeevan? Gurbani Pankti? Or quote? Gurbani Pankti is hard. How do you pick a favorite? Don't ask me. I mean, your favorite quote, favorite quote. Yeah, favorite quote. This one is by Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, it's always been very important to me, uh, or I found very inspiring. It says, It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. Their credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming but who, who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best uh, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory, who neither know victory nor defeat. So that to me is, uh, it just has a very valuable lesson in there that... Don't just uh, spend your life on the sidelines criticizing people who are in the arena, but be in the arena yourself and uh, strive valiantly every every day to achieve your dreams and achieve your goals. Um, and uh, you know, just leave the rest up to God, right? That one quote makes up for like your top ten. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Next question is going from very inspirational quotes. What is one of your weird quirks, Kanji? What is it? <laughs> I have too many to find quirk. <laughs> Anything you find interesting, unique about yourself. It could be uh, a weird habit that you have. I mimic or... a lot. Pardon? Mimicking. Yeah, you do that a lot. <laughs> You're really good at it, though. <laughs> okay. uh, I don't really know what a weird quirk is, but uh, I like to make up like jumbled up songs at work <laughs> so we sing we sing about random things that happen he today. sings i don't know about we okay. <laughs> i i do so let solos in the back office nice. when i have some spectrum. i want to expose what he sings it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a joke yeah, i like reading a lot of textbooks <laughs> <laughs> that is a weird quirk yeah. uh-huh. it's not weird for him yeah. for everybody else yeah. Yeah. so that's uh that is pretty weird <laughs> now that he thinks about it <laughs> Kanjit what is your biggest pet peeve being late mm-hmm. oh man he must, he must hate me <laughs> he, he can be late that's fine but if I'm late I don't like yeah. it uh, say dishonesty uh, like we said integrity is key Yeah. Uh, so people who when you know they're lying to you um, it, it doesn't serve well good evening biggest pet peeve not trying hmm is it when you don't try or if someone in front of you is not trying? I get to, yeah, it's it's uh, like, I don't know how I would explain it. It's, it's a bit tough to explain. Sure. Um, but I feel that when you when you set out on something, you guys are both laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's important that, 
as a young lawyer, uh, I learned this from my mentors, and I've heard other lawyers say this to me as well, that uh, you need to make the effort to learn something first. You know, don't just rush to ask a question, right? It, mm-hmm. it just shows a lack of effort. It shows a lack of enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're confronted with a legal challenge, uh, part of your learning process is figuring it out. That, that's what lawyers do. We figure things out, yep. you know, so it's, um, you know, put some effort into learning something, uh, into, into put, put your best foot forward. And then go to your mentor and say, "This is the, this is what I came up with. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts?" Yep. And that that will make your mentor a lot more enthusiastic about uh, teaching you and so on as well. Other thing that uh, of a similar nature, I heard this. It was by Jeff Bezos. Uh, what he said uh, it stuck it struck with me. Um, he said that uh, it, it comes it comes back to down to not trying. He said that when he was thinking of starting Amazon, and I believe he wanted to start it off just as an online bookstore at the time. Mm-hmm. And he said that uh, he had a comfortable job then, um, but he had this idea, and he put himself uh, in his own shoes as an eighty year old. And he said, as an eighty year old, if I look back, and um, if I had failed with Amazon. He's like, as an 80-year-old, I would still be proud that I had tried to achieve something with Amazon. I had tried to launch this business. Uh, I would be proud of my younger self. But if I didn't try, then, you know, I would always have that regret. Mm-hmm. So, and I think that's, that's very important in the context of being a professional, being a entrepreneur, business owner, whatever you want to do in life. Um, you know, make the plunge, you know, make that effort. And, uh, you know, think, think of yourself, put yourself in your, in your own shoes as an 80 year old. What will you think then? You know, will you be proud of yourself even if you failed, right? Or would you have the regret for not trying? At least when you try, you know how it worked out. Yeah. And the last question for you all is if you could meet anyone in history, who would it be? And this one's very interesting for the listeners who don't know. I'm also very close with the GSPR law team. And anytime I want a place to study or ask some questions about, where to take my own career i'm usually at the firm asking them and Karajit has has asked us a similar question before where you wanted us to list five people to if we wanted to meet in history now i'm going to limit it to just one so if you can meet guru one person you can list a guru sahib <laughs> but most... guru sahib is like it's like just a generic straightforward everybody's going to want to meet them like <laughs> the common theme is every single guest like, will say like... oh i could say a guru sahib but oh that's generic so then they pick someone else so like, are, are you making a mistake by not saying this? <laughs> <laughs> Am I sinning? <laughs> yeah. Okay, come back. Of course. Yeah. Please, Heavenly Father, forgive me. <laughs> I'll go with somebody different. Okay. By Har Singh Lakhari. Yeah. Who was that? They were like the personal diary writer of uh, Basim Pasha. Yeah. And they wrote a pothi, which called the Goj Pothi, which a lot of the key details in terms of like, the final days and like Hazus Hub. Yeah. So I think it'd be cool to like sit down and pick that person bring. Interesting. Just real. I think mine might be a common answer, but again, if we're not picking Guru Sahibs, I would pick Baba Buddha Sahibji mm-hmm. um, because they've seen so many Guru Sahibs in their lifetime and yep. they have so much story to tell aside from being a Brahmagyani themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, just immense, immense knowledge and you know, you can... <laughs> I think I think it speaks for itself. I think anybody who knows this, we've we've spoken about it too, and all of us had Baba Buddha Saji on our list. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Baba Buddha Saji. I think I think we have to provide context. Well, that that five. Yeah. Everyone's confused. Like five. That's easier than one. <laughs> no, it's it's a tough conversation. <laughs> yeah, for me, it would it would probably be Baba Buddha Ji as well. Baba Buddha Ji or Baba Deep Singh Ji. Hmm. Yeah, one of them. 
All right. That brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you so much for being here today. And thank you to all the listeners for sitting through one of our longest episodes on the experience. Can I make podcast. another book recommendation? <laughs> <laughs> it's not, not really a book, but uh, Sikhi wise, I feel like uh, Sikh history wise, Suraj Prakash is unbeatable. Hands down. All right. Listen again. I feel like there's no other. Um, I, I, like I don't know, books not the appropriate word to use, but for the lack of a better term, um, listening to a story and having your hair stand on end, mm-hmm. I feel like nothing does that better than Suraj Prakash. And a film Especially, playing in your brain. Yeah, you know, it's it's like literally you're 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 watching a movie and you're reliving a scene. It's very inspiring. Genie Shir Singh is one of the best at it. So check it out. Just again for listeners, Pant Prakash and Suraj Prakash are both their kathas are available on GurmatVichara.com. So I mean if we have the treasure, I might as well tap into it. But thank you to all three guests for being here today. We'll end the episode there. Hope you enjoyed the episode. You've been listening to the Experience Sikhi Podcast. <laughs>